What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Outside Perspective. I am your host, Adam Meredith. If this is your first time joining, thank you so much. Every week, I'm just sitting down with interesting people, trying to gain some perspective, so I appreciate you guys joining along on this journey. If you're a repeat listener, you guys know what's up. You guys are the shit. I love you all. I can't do this without you, so I truly, from the bottom of my heart, cannot thank you guys enough. I do have to ask you, though, if you are getting value out of the show, just do me a solid, bring us a friend, tell a friend, be like, hey... This is what I'm listening to, or if it comes up in conversation or wherever the case may be, just shout out your boy Adam. Just tell him about Outside Perspective, all the conversations we're having. Tell him about your favorite one. This conversation today will for sure be in one of your top favorite ones, especially if you are a BJJ person like myself, because today I am sitting down with a true OG. Before I get to my guests, though, Big thank you goes out to St. Louis Deck and Fences. If you are in St. Louis, go to stldeckandfence.com. Check these guys out. They are making and producing high-quality decks and fences. They'll come out, give you a free quote. They're extremely personable. They're friendly. I love these guys. Jeremy Jennon is the owner. I've had him on as a guest before. He's hilarious. He's super friendly. I can't speak highly enough of these guys. Go to stldeckandfence.com or check them out at 618-670-4531. Again, they'll come out completely free. Uh, they'll give you a quote. Whatever you have in your mind, I guarantee they will be able to bring it to life. They're making high-quality shit. So check these guys out. Again, stldeckandfence.com or give them a call, 618 670 Four five three one. We are also brought to you by Imposed Will. Go to imposedwill.com. Check out their full line of apparel. You can save 10% when you use the code outside at checkout. All you have to do, type in the word outside. You'll save 10%. And they are actually providing all of the apparel and goods for the show. So if you want it exclusive outside perspective merch go over there again that's imposedwill.com save 10 percent off of your entire order just by using the code outside my guest today a true og when it comes to jujitsu first i have to say thank you to todd fox if you don't know who todd is I've had Todd on before. Go back to episode 186 and check out that conversation. Todd is also a black belt in jiu-jitsu. He received his black belt under Rodrigo Vaghi, who received his black belt from Hicks and Gracie. Henry received his black belt also from Hicks and Gracie. In fact, he is the third American to receive his black belt from Hicks and Gracie. So this was a true honor. Uh, Henry is a third-degree black belt. His brand of jiu-jitsu is Hidden Jiu-Jitsu. He travels all over the world and teaches. I really resonate with Henry's form of jiu-jitsu because having fought MMA for so long, Henry is rooted very much so in the traditional sense that jiu-jitsu is a fighting art and it is meant for 
it's meant for combat. It's meant to not only protect yourself, but it's also meant to end a fight. So everything that Henry does is with that in mind. How effective is it going to be if you do get into an actual fight? I really resonate with that. I actually had the pleasure of taking Henry's seminar the next day after this conversation, and I can tell you firsthand his attention to detail and just the little things that he teaches to improve uh, a position is 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 just unbelievable. I truly enjoyed sitting down and having the opportunity to connect with Henry. It was a true pleasure. I'm going to quit rambling. Without any further ado, let's get to the conversation. Let's gain some perspective with Henry Akins. Henry Akins, my man, thank you so much for doing this. We're doing the thing. You know, I'm, um, I feel like I'm, I'm automatically probably 10% better at jujitsu just, okay. si- just for sitting here next <laughs> to you. <laughs> You're such an OG in the space, man. Um, I, I say this all the time, anytime I, I – well, just in this in, – on this team, being on Hadoop uh-huh. Bagi's team, I feel very fortunate to be so close in lineage to Hickson. So that's why it's it's especially awesome sitting here with you today because, I mean, you started with Hickson in 95? 95, yeah. So you've been doing jiu-jitsu for... Well, ni- 94 is when I first went to train at Hickson's and, and got destroyed and then decided, <laughs> like, okay, now I need to... I need to uh, absorb some of these superpowers yeah. So, yeah so let's start there i mean you you're from you're from oklahoma from, right yep where were you before you went to oklahoma um well i i grew up all over the place um you know my mom uh came over from vietnam so we started out in la then moved to the east coast for a little bit uh and then i moved to oklahoma in the eighth grade okay and so i went to high school in oklahoma and obviously that had a huge influence on me um because of how wrestling heavy Oklahoma was. Right. Um, I was a huge fan of martial arts. I grew up uh, watching like Kung Fu theater uh, every Saturday, you know. Uh, And so I was always into martial arts and it was in Oklahoma that I realized really how effective uh, wrestling was as a martial art in itself. Right. Um, You know, it it was so powerful. We had uh, wrestlers were always the toughest guys in high school they were always the guys that you didn't want to mess with um and there was actually a two grades above me um there was a a couple fights between one of the the kind of state champion wrestlers at my high school and a guy who ended up later uh end up joining the u.s olympic taekwondo team okay um and uh, this fight happened a couple times. They, <laughs> they fought, and then, oh, no, that must have been a mistake, and they fought again. And eventually the, the Taekwondo guy's family had to get a restraining order on the wrestler because, <laughs> you know, he, he was getting beat up every time. And, so we uh, got to put a halt to this. So, so that was a huge uh, eye-opener for me. But also, you know, just the idea that um, wrestlers who a lot of times it was the smaller guys, guys that were not even that big, were beating up all the football players. They were the ones that were always kind of feared and, and people didn't want to mess with them because they realized like, hey, these guys are, you know, once they get you on the ground, yeah, you know, they have a huge advantage. And so um, yeah. that's what kind of led me to jiu-jitsu. That makes it. Yeah. I mean, wrestling and obviously Oklahoma is a powerhouse for the sport of wrestling. 
Yeah. Uh, the whole object of the sport is just to take people down and then control them once you're there. Right. Yeah. It's to it, dominate another human being. Oh you my know? goodness! And the amount of testosterone and just young, young high school boys is just like I'm the I'm the baddest motherfucker. Yeah. And <laughs> well, and also you, when you grow up in Oklahoma, there's nothing to do, right? So yeah. you got a bunch of farm boys with nothing to really do, and so it's yeah. it's drink and fight every weekend. And that led you to your pursuit of jujitsu. Yeah. How come you didn't actually wrestle? What, you didn't you want to do that? Gosh, you know what? I, at, at the time, I was really into martial arts. I was doing Taekwondo at the time. Okay. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm one of those people that when I get into something, I just throw myself into it. Yeah. I, I really focus and dedicate myself. And um, and so I was just really, really into Taekwondo at the time. Um, I was training every day for like three, three, four hours a day. Uh, so I was just super into it. But then towards the end, like my, probably my junior year, I was starting to look for something else uh, i didn't know what it was yeah um grace jiu-jitsu jiu-jitsu hasn't really presented itself to me yet but i was looking for i was like okay well i love martial arts and i love also the the idea behind the martial arts the discipline the the respect the honor all of those things that go along with what we traditionally think of in, in the martial arts world yeah um so i was really into that yeah, you know that makes sense. Um, and 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 wrestling didn't have that. Obviously, wrestling was just you know a sport where right. you know where when you're learning the martial arts, there's a lot of like discipline, honor, you know those values. Right. Let's just be honest. You know, Chuck Norris movies and Karate Kid movies are way better than Vision Quest. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I feel like I talked to so many martial artists, and especially during that time, everybody was was led to. Um, just martial arts in general, and it was always it was always the striking arts. A lot of it was w- what you saw on on TV, whether it was blood sport. Yeah, it's like I want to do that, dude. That I was <laughs> yeah, that was probably like the movie of of kind of I guess my generation that that blood sport were <laughs> the Dimock and everything, right? Um, it was yeah, it was all it was all striking arts, and so that yeah. was kind of funny how huge that was. You know, it started for me when I was young. You know, watching Enter the Dragon and seeing that like fifty times, and then all, watching all the Bruce Lee movies, and then of course Chuck Norris, Karate Kid. Um, there was I think a period in the eighties of of ninja movies that were keep kept oh, coming yeah. out. So yeah, that that's that was the sexy stuff right there, yeah. dude. I d- I totally understand that drive to want to be in martial arts. It wasn't really until. Like kind of now where I'm at after having done jujitsu, twelve years. I feel like saying twelve years to somebody who's done it for twenty, twenty seven, six, twenty seven years. I feel like I was like that's just such a petty number. (laughs) But after twelve years, like, because I was a wrestler growing up, so I tend to look at at kind of movement as a language. So I, I tend to relate most things back to wrestling because that was kind of the first movement language I learned. Yeah. And then it wasn't kind of until now that I started looking at it as the combat kind of martial art aspect that you, you can view it as. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so what what drove you to, to – to, you moved out to L.A., right? Mm-hmm. And I've, obviously I've listened to some of the, your other conversations. You found, like, the old Gracie tapes, right? And yeah, that, and that saw those you first, on quest? and then saw those first, and then heard that Hickson was the best. You know that was discussed many times in the gray scene action that Hickson was the best, and you saw him fighting Zulu at the end of yeah. You know, so I was like, okay, well, that's the guy I want to train with. That's I, you know, obviously you want to learn with, from the best dude, right? And everyone was saying he's the best, he's the best. By that time, Hoist had already fought in the UFC, and he came out with a statement like Hickson, you know, if you think I'm good, 
you should see my brother. He's ten times better. Right, than he's me. the family champion. So, you know, I was set on on training with Hickson. Uh, fortunately, when I went out to L.A., uh, within a couple of days, I was able to find his gym because back then it was the days of no internet. Yeah. Right. I mean, there was internet, but I think it was like AOL, where it was like dial-up still. You had to have like the disc to even get it. <laughs> <laughs> people did not have websites so yeah. um you know and and they weren't in the yellow pages so uh i had to find out through a family friend personal trainer's friend where hickson's gym was went there to uh check out a class and as soon as i walked in i saw someone they were trying to revive a guy who just got <laughs> put to sleep and uh i was like I'm in the right place. This is home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah, that probably would scare a lot of people off. But instead, like, yeah. th that's what you were in search for. Like, you wanted to find the, the baddest dude. Right. And f for whatever reason, you, you felt that there was something that could defeat wrestling, and jiu-jitsu was the answer. Yeah. And, it, yeah, it, 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 was, it was mostly finding a, a grappling-based martial art because I knew how effective grappling was. Yeah. And, um, and it wasn't so much about beating up beating wrestling but I, I i love martial arts and i just wanted to combine those two elements okay of of okay let me find um and i, I was always very comfortable grappling um instead of like punching and kicking and, mm. and doing that like gr that can't kind of felt natural a little bit more natural to me yeah um so yeah it was kind of that combination of both and then once i started to see how jujitsu guys were winning fights with all of these mm. joint locks and chokes and stuff like that i was like yeah that's looks that sounds awesome yeah you know okay that makes you can win a fight without having to throw a punch you know that's yeah pretty pretty powerful um you just have complete control over the entire situation yeah yeah i can definitely see that appeal so this was in in 94 the first time you, you went and checked out a practice mm -hmm. and then you I trained for a week uh and then after that i was like okay when i when i flew back to oklahoma um i was like yeah i gotta I got to do that. That's that's yeah. what I, I just kind of, that experience was so powerful for me. Um, immediately it was like, okay, this is what I need to dedicate myself to doing. And like I said, you know, when I, when I kind of decide on something, I go all in. Yeah. And so literally the week I got back, um, I was already starting to put things into action of how I was going to move to LA yeah. and get out there and, and start training. So. Man, I love that. I I wish more people like took that initiative to to go all in on their passions. I talk to so many people that have they have things that they want to do, but then oftentimes you talk yourself out of it. You find reasons why you can't go it's, do it, the it's thing. It's so funny because I when I think about that decision I made now, um, definitely like I don't know if I would have made the same decision now because. You know, they say uh, I was 20 years old at the time. They say our brain is not fully developed right. then. And, you know, when we're young, we don't really think about consequences. Right. right? We, I mean, think <laughs> about how much stupid stuff we did in our, you know, when oh, we were younger. Oh, my gosh. And you don't even think about the consequences. Oh, if I do this, well, this could happen. And that's, I think, how our brains work now. Our, our analytical minds work is like, oh, well, if I move here, well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to make a living? How am I going to, you know, all these questions come up and you got to solve all these problems. Um that wasn't even a thing for me. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just going to do this. And yeah, then like that you was don't it. even, th yeah, your brain's not even developed. It's not even thinking through all of the things that could go wrong. Right. <laughs> Where now our brain is like, okay, well, I got to have a solution for all of these things that could go wrong. So it's funny. It, it was almost like 
it was meant to be at that time because my brain didn't even think about all the things I would have thought about now right. that would have prevented me from, from doing that. I mean, I literally left my family, left my girlfriend, had no job, had no friends, um, didn't have a place to stay. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, and coming from a, a small town, um, you know, I, Oklahoma City is still still a very very small city in the grand scheme of things, right. uh, population wise. To LA, mm-hmm. oh, right? It's just totally different values in the Midwest. I mean, yeah. For me, it was always told, you know, this is the path to success. It's like go to school and, and get this degree and then try to find this nine to five, and they they kind of lay it out for you. So to right. be like, hey man, I'm going to LA and I'm just gonna go do this thing called jujitsu, which nobody knew about. Nobody at the time. even knew what was going on. Like that's that takes some some yeah. some gumption to yeah. say the well. Well, and, and the th- the thing too, like you know, I, I I talk about this sometimes. It's like at the time I moved out there, the goal for me was to get a black belt from Hickson, right? And at the time, there no American had ever done that yet. So that was, it was, no one had ever set a precedent that yeah. it hadn't been achieved. So you had the other thing too is, um, I figured like, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to learn this and then I want to have this as my career. You know, this will be hopefully my career one day teaching it. And at the time too, there was no, there was hardly any jujitsu schools and there was very, very little money in it. Yeah. Um, you know. There is no career path in no. jiu-jitsu or, or martial arts as a whole, unless it was like maybe a taekwondo school or something like that, right? Yeah, karate schools, taekwondo schools were huge then because of yeah. you know, karate kid. How different was the training at that time than it is? I would imagine training's evolved, so it's maybe yeah. a little different. What, what, Very different. What was it like back then? Um, it was just <laughs> – <laughs> and it's funny because me and Todd talk about this all the time. Todd Fox, yeah. uh, who you, you've had on. Had on the guest. Was your roommate at one point in time, yep. right? Yeah, we lived together in, in L.A. He came out from uh, Rodrigo's and, and stayed with me. And he had a, he had his own place for a while. And then I invited him to live with me and stay with me because just L.A. is so expensive oh, to, yeah. for anyone to be able to survive. So, um, But, yeah, it was very, very rough. Right, the training was very, very rough. It was intended for uh, the strong to survive and the weak to kind of just filter out. Yeah. Um, where now, I think, with more kind of American mindset of like, hey, let's make it so that we can retain students. Let's. This is a business, right. and let's you know, let's make it so everyone's comfortable, so people are not getting injured. It's not about just the tough, and then where you only have a small portion of students able to. Right. You, know, you have a high, very, very high <laughs> turnover rate. Um, but I, th- I think in general, too, as things evolve and as more money comes into it, um, you have more intelligent people uh, that also help dictate the training, right? And, yeah. And, hey, there's smarter ways of training and ways that we can do things without getting injured. And so, yeah, um, yeah I think the training methodologies, there it's not where it is in, in a lot of, like, pro sports yet but the training methodologies have improved so much yeah yeah longevity matters you know and absolutely when you're a young kid or you know you're just man just when you're when you're even maybe now where there's a lot of just competition mindset guys Mm -hmm. it's just it's just go 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 oftentimes and then you, you do ignore a lot of the things and those hard roles they do take a toll after a while Absolutely, they do, and uh, like the the little injuries build up over time. Yeah, right? yeah, um, and they become chronic. And I see so many guys that have been training for twenty, thirty years, and they they're cripples now. Yeah, and that was something for me that was a huge, th- like I never wanted to 
be that guy that was 50 year old in a 60 year old's body or 70 year old's body. Yeah. You know, I wanted to st- there's so many guys now that you can see just with the understanding of health and fitness and nutrition. Yeah. Guys that are in their 60s that are in better shape than guys that are in their 20s. Yeah. Right. And so I want to be one of those individuals like yeah. that are still, you know, fit, healthy. Yeah. You know, not those guys are also on TRT chronic pain <laughs> <laughs> dude I, you know I, ironically enough i just had a hormone replacement there that like he owns a clinic uh-huh. and um, i'm 100 percent when i'm in my 50s 60s i'm gonna be on trt for sure okay for longevity yeah i i, I mean i hear you know i and uh, like i watch joe rogan's podcast he's a huge proponent of that yeah. i'm really curious to see like the effect long-term effects like the thing that scares me about trt is like that it's something that you have to take you, you can once you they say once you start taking it you can never get off it right that's a little scary to me I think where it gets weird and hairy is if you do it too soon mm-hmm. like for me I'm 33 so I wouldn't want to do it because it would probably stop my natural production yeah but after a certain point the body stops naturally producing those hormones anyway so if you're already low mm-hmm. and then you're adding it in just to get back to some sort of some type of baseline some sort of baseline I mean you're, you don't have it anyway so yeah. Does it matter if you need it forever? Because at that point, (laughs) I don't know. But yeah, man. But this is why you guys were savages back in the day because it was it was a different purpose, right? It wasn't it wasn't I'm gonna go to an IBJJF and try to win a gold medal. It was I'm gonna be the baddest motherfucker around, and this is gonna save my life. I I always tell people, man. Back then, jujitsu was for fighting, and jujitsu was not um, who's the best jujitsu guy. It's let's see if we can develop our jiu-jitsu to beat every other martial art right yeah. that it was it was still ufc mindset let's let's take a jiu-jitsu guy and have him fight guys from every other discipline and let's prove to the world what's the best discipline what's yeah. the, what's the, what martial art is the most effective and so it was that um and we had challenge matches going on all the time back then you know um <laughs> you're very involved with those right yeah i was uh involved <laughs> well, like when i moved to la i like i said i didn't know anyone right so i i pretty much just camped out at the school i was there uh seven in the morning to seven at night on monday wednesday and friday oh, man. and from seven in the morning to nine at night on tuesdays and thursdays so I basically just camped out at the school. And uh, so after a couple of months, I became the secretary there because I just, you know, they were like, man, you're here all day. Anyways, you might as well start answering the <laughs> phones and helping use, out. Make yourself useful. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Clean the mats, put down the mats. Um, so, I'm, yeah, I made myself useful. So, and because I was developing so fast and I was there all the time, they're like, Henry. And I was, and I was um, eager to 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 do the matches where a lot of guys you know were a little bit more hesitant oh, okay. to um to do it like they saw that okay Hen- well Henry has no problem you know yeah. getting fights I had been in a bunch of fights in Oklahoma already so that was kind of normal that's a normal part of growing up yeah was a very normal part of growing up um and so uh, for me it's like well what's the worst that's gonna happen you know I get beat up yeah right? worst case scenario and you're 20 years old so you're gonna feel better <laughs> you know a day and a half later you know oh you're the healed bounce up. back when you're 20 is amazing. Yeah. Oh, I feel so good. So you leaning into that was was probably obviously it helped with your progression, um, but it was probably the big reason why you started teaching so much at the academy, right? Because you taught quite a bit at the original uh, yeah, well, academy, right? Well, um, so it's funny. I I started teaching uh, when I was a blue belt. We had a we had a program at UCLA uh, at the Wooden Center, which is a, like a kind of a 
a sports facility. Okay. Um, and I started teaching uh, just an intro class there when I was a blue belt, and that lasted for a few months. Um, and then I decided, you know what, I was m- I, by going there and teaching a couple nights a week, I was missing class myself. So mm-hmm. uh, I decided, you know what, my focus is to get good at jujitsu. Um, so I didn't really start teaching kind of again at Hickson's until I was a brown belt, which oh. was in 2000. So that's quite a few, quite a few years. Yeah. So basically, after I'd been training for five years, um, I started teaching, and I had gotten up. I was a brown belt by then. Um, and what happened was Luis Heredia, who was one of the uh, main instructors at Hickson's, had moved to Maui, mm. and so um, I kind of knew and understood Hickson's Jiu-Jitsu the the best out of anyone that was still there. Okay. Uh, and so yeah, I started teaching most of the classes at Hickson's, uh, and that was at our third school. So there, the first school that we had was the Pico School, which is, um, for those people that have seen that documentary, Choke, Choke yeah. that was that was the school. That was the first school, and we were there for, when I when I got there in 95, we were probably there for another year and a half, two years. Okay. Um, and then they moved to a school in the Palisades, which is a little bit further away. It's a little bit out of kind of this it's it's not as central it's on the way to malibu so we were up in the palisades and that was kind of a a place that was harder to get to Mm -hmm. um and they shared us a place with uh jerry blanks uh it was a karate so they were just sharing a a space with a karate school is that billy blanks dad um (laughs) 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 yeah i don't know (laughs) no um what was his jerry uh Maybe it wasn't Jerry, but Billy Blanks. I'd seen Billy Blanks there. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so we were up in the Palisades, and then uh, by 2000, we had come back down to LA, and we were off. We had the school on Wilshire, and that was the last. That was where um, Hickson last had the school. Okay. Wow. So your so your progression up and up until Brown Belt. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, you see a lot of uh, instructors in schools like. They'll, they'll judge their students' progression off of, you know, where they're attending and drilling and, and, and they're rolling in here, but also a lot of times competition. Mm-hmm. So was were those challenge matches, was that kind of, your like, the way you guys were, were judged on progression? Or, you know, no, no, um, how was how progression measured during that time? Does that make sense, that yeah, question I'm asking? No, absolutely. And, um, you know, back then, so we had gotten eventually they what happened was they had gotten to a point where they had uh had some talks with some consultants on how to run schools okay so in the early days your belts were just given to you when the instructor felt you were ready to be promoted you were just give handed a belt um by 2000 because of all the martial arts consultants that they were bringing in and trying to figure out you know they were trying to figure out okay well how do we have a successful business yeah um they started to do belt testing belt testing and um i it's funny i never got tested for any of my belts but that was kind of what they had implemented because they were trying to copy what karate schools were doing right right? oh you need to do a test and this is and this is a an additional form of revenue because now every few months you can test these guys and you can charge them Mm. for their belts and stuff like that so um and then it also kind of sets a standard but Back in the day, it was just basically the belts were just handed to you. Oh, and really? what um, I realized, because as we started testing students, uh, I was one of the instructors that would help during the tests. Mm-hmm. So Hickson would be there, and then there would be one or two other instructors, usually to help him with the test. And what I realized was that it's even though there was 
a test, it all was kind of, and, and it's still like this today, I think, with, with all schools, it's, it's not so much performance-based. It's you, you grade each individually, uh, in each individual differently based on what you think their capacity or abilities are. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you have a guy that starts training jiu-jitsu and he's 60 years old, and he's uh, a doctor, and he's uh, a father of a bunch of kids, you know, and he's only training two or three uh, nights a week. You can't judge him the same as a 20-year-old kid that yeah. was a state champion or, or collegiate champion wrestler, right? The, you just They're, they're just not going to be the same standard, right. right? And so does that mean that this older guy is never going to get his blue belt or purple belt or, or even a black belt if he dedicates 15 years to the art? So um, that's one of the things I learned from Hickson is really you have to take each individual and base it off what you feel their potential is. Mm. Yeah, it's a very individualistic pursuit. It's super individual, and you can see that like at every school. Yeah. You go into any school, and you'll see there's a room full of blue belts, and you know some guys like top games. Some guys are better at the bottom. Some right. guys are doing this. Some guys are way tougher. Yeah. You know, some guys do awesome in in training in the gym and then they go to compete and then they suck and some guys suck in the gym and then they go to compete and that pressure's on and then they rise to the occasion right right? yeah how do you take into account all those different factors i mean for you like when you're judging like what what kind of things are you looking at in particular is there anything that sticks out to you because some some schools they'll be like all right well i don't care if you win but i do want you to go compete and Mm -hmm. some schools might be like all right well i don't necessarily care if you compete but i need you to be training at least three times a week Mm -hmm. um is there anything in in your mind that that you stick like these these are the standards that we need to at least be hitting no i don't think you know i think look all of those things competing training more spending more time on the mats it's all going to help you in the grand scheme of things right right and i think that's what you're looking for in any individual is just their progress okay their progression through the art um you know to say that you have to compete even though you know like hey competition will help you uh it pushes a lot of people outside of their comfort zone right um it will help you deal with certain mental things, physical things. Um, yeah, it's very helpful. But to say that everyone has to compete to be graded doesn't to to right. get the next belt doesn't make sense because if the guy's training every day, right. right, and he's destroying all of his training partners on the mat, like why does he need to compete? You know? Yeah. So um, I, I think it's so unique to each individual. Yeah, that makes you know, sense. Even like all of these things, yes, th- that can be helpful. Obviously, training more, spending three times a week training is better than two times a week training. But then, again, there are some individuals that just have the ability to retain information better, that can pick things up quicker. Right. You know? um, fortunately for me, I felt like I was one of those people that picked things up pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, we're there were other guys that were training like towards the later years, almost the same amount as me. And they, w- they would just not progress. And yeah. you, you, we, I see that as a teacher with students, you know, like, wow, this guy's been training for months and he's just hasn't, you know, we've gone over this move a bunch of times and he just can't figure it out. He's not able to pick yeah. it up. You like know, things just aren't clicking for whatever reason right. for that person. Some guys I've seen people that still struggle with a shrimp, you know, <laughs> just a basic hip movement, which yeah. is a, it's an unorthodox movement. But, um, you know, 
weeks and weeks and weeks after they've started, they still haven't gotten it down or right. frontwards roll or these, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, that makes sense. What was the progression like for you um, becoming like a teacher? You know what I mean? So I, dude, I, I fought for like 10 years and I never thought myself as a coach. I didn't think of anything I could ever do because I was very selfish whenever I was younger. But then there's that transition I feel where it's less about me and just kind of about helping other people. I feel like you have to be when you're competing though. Right, 100%. Right? When you're competing, you, you bec it has to be all about you. and. Um, you see that with kind of even some of the best athletes in the world, how kind of narcissistic yeah. mindset, um, but it helps them to be the best. Right. right? Um, but as a teacher, so when I, when um, they asked me to start teaching um, and that, like I said, when I, when I first moved to LA, that was always kind of something in my, in my head, like, okay, well maybe this is something I want to do. I, I love it. And if I could do something I love, for work then it's right. you know that's one of the it's things my dad taught me is like you know if you if you do what you love for work then you never work a day in your life right um so when i was given the opportunity to teach i threw myself into it like a hundred percent i was like okay well now i'm going to transition to teaching and i want to become the best teacher you know that there is yeah, yeah. just hands down just the, the best out of all of them right That's and so mindset. really you know i just spent a lot of time thinking about jujitsu um even now when i teach seminars you know after the seminar i'll go back and i'll spend just an hour by myself and think through okay what could i have done better where was i getting a lot of questions then i need to explain that better sometimes uh people will ask questions and i and i'll go back and i'll say hey guys th this is a detail that's important i had just had a great question about this so I'll, I'll make a mental note to myself okay so next time i teach this topic or this technique um i need to emphasize this so that mm. everyone so everyone's clear on that so um yeah, I'm very, very, for me, it's so important, you know, to, to become a good teacher and, and to pass on the art. Like, jujitsu has improved my life so much. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to get, that's my kind of way of giving back to the world. Yeah, yeah. And so. So many benefits from doing jujitsu. Yeah, and I think if, if you're going to do anything, you know, do it to the best that you can, right? If you're going to commit your time to doing anything, then you know, be exceptional at it. 100%. Yeah. So I've, I've two kids, they're 13 and 11 mm -hmm. and my daughter, we just actually had a basketball game before here and she, it's not her favorite thing, but I'm like, all right, Addison, we're, we, you started it. We have to finish it and you have to do your best to, to at least improve. And man, let me tell you what this week she improved so much. I was just like, Oh, it's just, it's just such a good feeling to teach people and to see them, overcome those challenges that maybe they thought that they couldn't do it yeah and just by just throwing themselves into the work just to see them get better it's so rewarding i mean that's life in general right that, it's kind of a metaphor for life is just like it's just overcoming obstacles yeah it's constantly overcoming obstacles and the, and the more you do that and whatever the more um confident you you develop and you're like oh man i overcame that so yeah. this next obstacle is you know no biggie yeah right so how how has your style today how 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 would you say your style of teaching is today? Obviously, it's probably evolved. Um, and and, yeah. and hidden jujitsu, the name of your brand, probably mm -hmm. is is uh, points probably sheds a lot of light on your style. Obviously, you're probably very. I've never taken your classes. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm very excited to do it tomorrow. Your seminar, but you're very detail oriented, right? Always explaining the why and concepts. Right. Yeah. So, um, I think obviously it, it grows every year, but um, I have a deeper understanding of jujitsu the yeah. the body mechanics behind it the the understanding of the positions now than ever um the the subtleties there's so many subtleties that i learned from hickson um 
so so much of it was the concepts and philosophies that he kind of you know beat into our heads and i've just kind of taken those concepts and philosophies and really tried to develop a deeper understanding mm. of how to apply those ideas in the art um so yeah i mean and and so much of 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 jujitsu is kind of the subtleties in the techniques how do you get the techniques to work even against a resisting opponent which is always our goal right is right. you know when you first start training you're you're learning a technique with a cooperating partner mm -hmm. but the goal is to be able to apply the techniques against a person who's 100 percent resisting right so how do we bridge that gap how yeah. do we go from you know being able to learn a technique and apply it against someone who's cooperating to do it against 100 percent resistance and so how do you build the person to be able to do that that's that's an excellent question right because right. i feel that when when you're going against somebody who's 100 percent resisting they're giving you different feedback different pressures mm -hmm. that somebody who's 100 percent cooperating isn't always doing so especially whenever you're learning a new move it's like if i'm teaching some something or if i'm going if i'm drilling with somebody who knows jujitsu mm -hmm. they'll give me pressures they'll give me feedbacks that makes sense to me it's right because it's like if i do this then they're probably going to do this but if somebody doesn't know jujitsu if i do this then they just did the wrong fucking thing like you're not supposed to be doing that thing like how do you how, how do you like progress people through that or do you have you found anything to 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 be successful whenever you're, you know what I'm saying? You're working people yeah, through that process. A absolutely. You know, and, um, so like one of the things I do is because it's very difficult to go from zero to a hundred right. and you don't do that in any sport. You don't go from zero to a hundred. So you don't go from, uh, learning to drive a car to going, jumping into a formula one and mm -hmm. driving 200 miles an hour. Right. Right. You don't learn from, uh, you know, baseball where you put a, a little uh, wiffle ball on top of a, a stand and it's sitting still to hitting it to now hitting 100 per, per mile hour pitches. Right. So there, there's a way to create progressions in whatever it is they're learning um, where you're you're gradually increasing the resistance and um, allowing the person to get comfortable at that level of resistance so mm. i create different drills depending on what technique or what i'm trying to help the student develop okay i'll create different drills and i will um give the partner hey this this is what you kind of a, a context of this is what you can do this is what these are the things that you can do and you want to go about this hard mm. right to resist um and then i'll gradually increase the complexity um and then you know, I'll also teach the, okay, when sometimes, because if sometimes someone's 100% resisting or fighting a specific technique or, or defending a technique, what is the movement that we're going to use to take advantage of that? So that's kind of the beauty of jujitsu is, right, is that even when they're defending or completely countering one, something else becomes available. Right. So what is that that becomes available? So usually I'll combine, okay, now if you feel you can't do this or they're this much resistance and they're they're doing this to defend, then you can transition to this. So then right. you, you, let's use these two in combination with each other so you can still advance or progress or, you know. Right. You're, you're, you're making progress towards finishing the fight. Right. Yeah, I, I often find that people, they find themselves in trouble because they they hold on to a position. It's They're afraid to either to give up something or whatever the case may be. But if you, maybe you're, you're giving up that half guard to, to get to side control. But if you progress into side control, maybe something else opens up and you're allowing the opportunity yeah. to, to 
move on to something else. But if you're if you're just holding for dear life to this one position, you're not allowing anything to develop. Yeah, people get people tend to get tunnel vision a lot in jiu-jitsu where they're like so single focused, and that was one of the things I always learn from Hickson is like you want to open your mind to the possibilities right like what else is available always thinking like okay I'm doing this but what else is available what else is he giving me and if he resists this what else becomes open so and, and that's really the the beauty of jujitsu is like you're always trying to use your opponent's energy or movements against him right right so if he resists or fights you here then he's always something else becomes easy something else opens up right um, and that's something i talk a lot about in my teaching okay well now you know you've done this a couple of times and you feel like you can do this now if he resists this becomes open mm. right there's always a, an opening somewhere else um, but there's also subtleties in the techniques where even like a, a a way that someone normally resists you can still have enough leverage to still apply the technique mm. so there's certain techniques with some subtleties where a lot of times for the person think they are defending or they are countering but you can still do it if you understand kind of these minute details right I, I, that's probably the biggest draw for me to jujitsu is it's this ever evolving problem that the, the more you look at it the more possibilities you see. Mm -hmm. So as a white belt, maybe you look at an arm bar and you can only see it on the surface level, but you know, you do an arm bar for 10, 12, 20 years. And then now you can just see all these little intricacies that you couldn't see before just because like your brain just weren't able yeah. to actually see those things. Right, you're able to solve, you're able to solve more problems around that technique that so that you can still apply it. One of the, one of the common things I, I examples I always mention is you know I tell people by the time you're a blue belt you know most of the techniques you're going to need to know to get your black belt mm. right and it's just the mastery of those techniques um, and so there was a match a few years ago with uh, Hodger Gracie and Buchecha it was their second match the second time they they competed against each other and Hodger um, at the time I think he was 39 and he had been retired from uh, competition jiu-jitsu for many years because he was focusing on MMA but he mm -hmm. came back out of retirement to compete against Buchecha who was I think 13 years younger 20 pounds heavier was uh, the current world champion just a complete and savage they, they say he's probably was probably the most physical of of any heavyweight world champion right um just a beast and uh hodger um pulled guard did an arm drag took his back and bow and arrow choked him so that's right. something that by the time most people are blue belts they know you know how to pull guard you know how to do an arm drag to the back and you know how to do a bow and arrow choke but right. how many people can do that against Buchecha. Right, at that level, that's insane. Right, so it, I think that's really what it, what it comes down to is just mastering those fundamentals so that you can deal with any problems that may arise so that you can still apply those techniques. Right, right? It, it, I think that from, from, let's just say from white to black belt, you're discovering and learning all of these different styles and techniques and then eventually when you do end up at this at this this end place with quotes right it's you've you've essentially just learned all these other things so now you can almost just strip away to just the basics of your game so it's like right. now i've accumulated all this information i can understand all of these different games so now i can just have the most simple form of jujitsu and that's when you're yeah. the most successful that's that's one of the most common things I hear from guys that just get their black belt is that now it's time to go back in and 
refine the basics. Yeah. That's what a lot of guys do is like, okay, they're a black belt now. Now it's time to go back and just refine their basics and, and put time into developing what they already know and making it better. Right. right? Not learning more techniques. Like I think a lot of times through that, those early years, people are just concerned with accumulating more techniques, accumulating more techniques, trying to understand a technique to deal with, okay, this problem, this is a new problem, this is a new problem, right. and techniques to deal with it. And then by the time you get to a black belt, you don't need any more techniques. Right. It's just already mastering, developing the timing, and developing what techniques to use in combination with each other. Right, right. right. Yeah, and again, all those those little details, right? All those the little strategy. Yeah. Right. So, and, and then I guess that's where probably, I mean, concepts – come into play right because you can only learn so many techniques and then as you start applying concepts you see that those those go in, into so many different positions and different areas that you might find yourself in right so so concepts are, are extremely important it's not necessarily just learning techniques which a lot of guys early on in their career find themselves really consumed with right it's just right. i just want to learn every technique that i possibly can yeah well the, the concepts is kind of the the I always say the concepts and the philosophy is kind of the, the overlaying um, idea, like what are you trying to do from each position? Mm. And then the techniques are just the method by which to go about applying those concepts, right? Oh, okay. That's a technique. The technique, like, okay, from the mount, what are we looking to do? Well, because the mount is such a dominant position, because if you stay mounted, you have a very low chance of getting hit and you can do damage and you have a better chance, you know, you have a high the guy on the bottom can't submit you, but you can submit him. Yeah. Um, you want to stay here. The, you want to maintain the mount. And the longer that you're in this position, uh, the better chance you have of winning the fight, right? So how do we go about maintaining the mount now? So now let's talk about the techniques. Yeah. So you uh, first you have to talk about the concept, the idea. Okay, what is this position? Why do we want to stay here? Why is it important to stay here? So that you talk about the concept. Yeah. And then now the techniques are just the method by which we go about achieving that. Yeah, okay. You know, I've never heard it explained that way, but that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, what is the concept of cross-eyed, right? So when I'm cross-eyed on my opponent, my job is to keep him flat because this guy wants to get on his side, right? Mm -hmm. And you always hear coaches saying, hey, get to your side, get to your side, you know, when you're on the bottom of cross-eyed. So, okay, my job is to keep him flat. So, okay, so how do we go about keeping him flat? Well, if he needs to get on his side, he needs to lift his shoulder off the ground. So if I can keep his shoulder flat, so this is the what one of the things we'll do to keep them flat yeah you know control the shoulders if i can control the shoulder line i can keep them flat if i can control right so i I think it's always important to discuss the talk about the concepts and the philosophy of the position this is you know the position this is what we're trying to achieve and then this is the method by which we go about doing that Mm. right which is the technique yeah but it's it's nice to have the concept first and foremost because what happens is if they don't have the technique they can still figure out how to how to achieve what they're trying to achieve right maybe right. They, yeah they could they could probably just figure it out on their own some way it might not yeah. be if they technically don't ha- perfect right <laughs> if they don't have if they if they're just relying on the technique like okay i need a solution i need to to do this it's you know one of the things i always say it's like it's like giving someone the understanding of math once you understand once you understand the kind of fundamentals how to add subtract multiply and divide you can solve much more complex equations and so for me, when I'm teaching students, that's what I want to teach them is how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide so that no matter what happens, 
they can start to figure out right. a solution to the problem right. based on these concepts and these ideas. That's how you can start becoming just creative and, and developing right. your own game. Now. And there's a lot of times, I'm sure, even it even happens to me sometimes when I'm rolling and I end up in some position, I'm like, man, I've what position is this? I don't even know. His arm is here. His leg is there. He's holding right. me this. And it's like, and then you just figure out mm-hmm. based on, hey, I know where I should be going. I know what the dominant positions are. I know what non-dominant positions are. I know for the most part I want to be on top. And if I'm on top, I want to be here, here, here. Let me just figure out how to get there from there. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you start to move and start to adjust your position to try to get to one of the positions. So that's, you know, I, it, it's very similar to that. Like you already have the concept and idea of where you should be, what positions are good for you, what positions are bad for you. Right. So even when you end up in a place that you, you have no idea what to do, you figure it out. Right. Yeah, it allows you to re- to relax and just work through the position. Because mm-hmm. I feel like the number one thing most people need to, to learn when they're starting jujitsu is just to relax and breathe. <laughs> just relax and breathe. It's huge. There's, there's a... a a mountain of information and it's like drinking from a water hose and or from a fire hose and I know you want to consume it all but just relax and breathe and survive yeah and just keep showing up you'll be okay um so what are we gonna learn tomorrow um tomorrow so I was just talking to Todd <laughs> and her actually about uh the seminar so I, th- I think we're gonna cover cross-site the cross-site position um help people to under- get a, a, a deep understanding of what we're trying to achieve uh I'm gonna talk about um the battle for the underhook, which is uh, a, a, it's a kind of like a micro position that's mm-hmm. going on that uh, I think people don't really understand the significance of that. Whoever has the underhook, so if you're on top, you want the underhook. If the guy's on the bottom, he wants the underhook. That battle um, dictates who has control. So if the bottom guy gets the underhook, he he's going to have a ten times easier time escaping. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the top guy has the under underhook, he's going to have a much better. Uh, time easier time to control the position right so we're going to talk about that um we're going to talk about how to uh how i start to dominate that battle the battle for the underhook so if a guy starts with the underhook how i will re-pummel in how i how i can you know fight that battle and and re-establish the underhook so that i have control and then once i have control how we start to break down the defenses to start to attack and then we will transition from that into striking because I think, you know, at the end of the day, jujitsu it is super important to understand how to use strikes when you're fighting. And if you don't train with strikes, you're not going to use it uh, right. in fighting. Um, so how to set up positions, uh, how to set up this position called the cross-eyed crucifix so okay. that we can use strikes. Uh, and then in that, within that, I'll also talk about, you know, since we're talking about the underhook, why it's so important for the bottom guy to have, why it's so important for the top guy to have. And how much easier it makes it for each person. So if you're on top, how much easier it makes it for you to be able to control your opponent and keep yeah. him flat. And if the guy's on the bottom, he established his underhook, how much easier it is for him to escape. So it's a really, really, it's kind of a micro position in jujitsu and people don't realize uh, the significance of it. And they don't realize how important it is to fight for that, that inch, mm-hmm. which gives you yeah, it gives you all the leverage. Yeah. Wow, I'm excited. That's going to be fun. Yeah, I would have never have thought to – so whenever I've – like, because I'm very new at teaching, and mm-hmm. I can remember like maybe the first time I taught, you feel like you need to just give this massive amount of information and all these different things, but – you realize that it's okay to just really hyper focus. So the fact that we're going to go so in depth on, you know, the underhook, 
that, that that's super exciting. Yeah. Um, it's just I guess just as I'm evolving through the sport. Um, now, do you have a preference as far as gi and no gi? It it seems like the the world has been shifting a lot towards yeah. this 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 no gi phenomenon where everybody seems to love that. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah. I, so I always tell people, you know, in the early days when I first started training at Hickson's, every summer we would go no gi. Um, so there was really no difference between gi jiu-jitsu and no gi jiu-jitsu, just uh, chokes that we could apply, right? Cross-collar yeah. chokes, bone arrow chokes, some of the chokes that we could apply. Yeah. Um, but really, for me, it, it's always been super important that my jiu-jitsu works uh, irrelevant of what article of clothing my opponent has. Okay. Right. So I don't want my jujitsu to only be effective if the person has a long sleeve shirt on with collars. Mm-hmm. Right. So I've trained myself. Um, and, and that's kind of one of the filters I use for techniques. What there's so many techniques in jujitsu now, so many different styles. Yeah. That it, it's amazing. You, it's up to the student to be able to filter out what they want to focus their time into. And for me, what's always been important is that my jujitsu works gi. It works no gi, and it works in an environment with strikes. Okay. And so I will always, anytime I see a new technique, I will always kind of pass it through those filters. to okay, well, do I have to have a sleeve grip? Because if it only works if I have a sleeve grip, and it doesn't work if I have a wrist grip, then I'm not going to put time into developing. I'll figure out something else that will work in that same situation, mm. something else that I can use. So that has always kind of been my focus. Um at the end of the day, you know, like I said, jujitsu is for fighting. And during all of the challenge matches when we had back at Hickson's, the first thing they would say is, Henry, take your gi off. You're going to fight this guy. <laughs> you know, a guy would come in. He'd be in a T-shirt. He wouldn't have a gi on. He'd be a T-shirt and sweatpants or, or whatever, T-shirt and shorts or whatever. He'd want to fight. And the first thing they say is, Henry, take your gi off. You're going to fight this guy. No need for a gi in a fight. They're just like, take your gi off. You know, I'm like, boom. <laughs> yeah. So we were go- we were training no gi with strikes all summer for the first five years that I was training at Hickson's. Um, that makes sense. So it was always a very natural transition. Like, I don't want to be reliant on grips. I don't want to be reliant on this person having some specific article of clothing for my techniques to work. Yeah. And also, you know, living in Southern California for 25 years. I mean, it's beach. It's, it's beach nice all weather. the time. <laughs> yeah, like nine, ten months out of the year, you know, it's it's people are in shorts and t-shirts, right? So you know, yeah, that that makes sense um, to run it through those filters like that. So that makes sense why we're doing you know underhooks because that applies everywhere, and I I've never really thought to um, also do striking. Like you know, from a striking standpoint in a in a jujitsu seminar, which it, that's probably just because. I feel maybe the era that I'm coming up in, it's 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 different, right? It's not it's there's such a a, a heavy emphasis on jujitsu or on, on competitions and and points and all these different things that it's it's essentially a different form of jujitsu. Yeah, or it, it what is a different jiu-jitsu focus was intended to be rather. than what it was intended to be. It's right, a di- it's a very different focus, focus now in most schools, in a lot of schools. Um, but at the end of the day, you know what uses all this time you spend training at the gym if you know you have to go out and you have to defend your life or protect someone you care about and then you get beat up and right because you've never trained with the understanding of hey in these positions this guy can punch me or this guy can hit me and the problem is 
is if you don't train for those environments, you're not going to be aware of the angles, the attacks come, what tools the person can use to hurt you. And you're also not going to develop those tools that you need. A lot of jujitsu guys say, oh, if I get in a fight, you know, I'm just going to be able to throw punches. I'm going to be able to do this and this and this. And I'm like, yes and no, because I mean, think about it. You know, I watch martial arts movies my whole life, but if I get in a fight, do I think I'm just going to be able to start throwing spinning back kicks and, and roundhouse kicks right. if I've never done it in training? Well, a lot of people think that way, though. <laughs> but that's not how it, it works. It doesn't work like that, nope. right? You you don't have the skill. You don't have the timing. You don't have the the, the movement, the body mechanics. Right. And, and the problem is, too, is like in training, like the reason that we train, the reason we put so much time into training is that so when it actually happens, you don't have to think about it. You You're all the wiring has already been done and you go on autopilot. Right. You just react based to the, the feeling. Um, and, you know, if, if I'm fighting someone and I've never thrown a hook, uh, you know, a hook, cross, uppercut combo, is that, am I going to do that in a fight? Right. You're not going to. No. You have to train it. You have to train it. And so that's the thing is if you're training jujitsu without strikes, then – what makes you think that if you get in a fight, you're just going to know how to hit? Right. And you're going to know where to hit and what tools you have. Because that's the thing in jiu-jitsu is sometimes you want to throw punches, but for the most part, you don't want to throw punches, um, especially towards the head, because you have a very high chance of breaking your hand when right. you're punching someone in the head. And if you give someone a black eye and a bloody nose and your hand, you're in a cast for eight weeks, who won the fight? Right. It doesn't do you any good. So... You know, besides punches, you have to know how to use elbows. You have to know how to use headbutts. You have to know how to use all these other tools because I always tell people that jujitsu fighters, we're close range fighters, right? Mm -hmm. The goal for us is to control these positions, uh, get ourselves to a dominant position, control the position so that we have a much lower chance of getting hurt and then finish the fight. Now, we have submissions to be able to finish the fights, but striking is an effective tool to finish fights too right. a lot of fights get finished with strikes yeah right if i can knock someone out uh with an elbow uh, instead of mounting and then trying to set up for an arm lock and then spinning around right like that's way more efficient right, right? to just throw an elbow one or two elbows knock them out than having to do all of these steps to get to a submission so but if i don't if I don't train with strikes, I'm not going to know like, hey, this is available. This strike is available from this angle. This is how I throw it. This is how I generate power from this position yeah. to be able to use this tool. Yeah. Um, and even how to throw the elbow, you know, what side of the arm, how to turn my hand so that the elbow is effective, what part of the elbow to use from this position. So all of those things, you know, have to be trained. Right. Yeah. All those little details. You can't, you can't just assume that because you saw it on TV, you're going to be able to go do that, especially in a game time And a situation. lot of times, a lot of people that even fight in TV don't n know. They, you, you know, you might see it, but they don't explain it. And you don't, so you don't right. really understand. Yeah. yeah. Like on surface level, it looks easy, but it's not easy. Mm -hmm. I think that's where maybe combat jujitsu has, is kind of doing some cool things where it's, it's a lot of slaps, but a little bit. Open palm strikes are very effective. It's a step, yeah. It's, it's a, a step, step in, the, in the right direction. That direction because now there's an awareness of, hey, this is um, the distance that you need to be effective, right? So either being too close or too far away because that's a huge part when you start to incorporate strikes yeah. is how to manage distance, which in jiu-jitsu, when you're rolling without strikes, it's it's not even, it's a it's an afterthought. No, people don't yeah. even think about controlling distance, but when you're fighting, it's really important. Mm -hmm. Like you never want to be in that middle range. You either want to be too far or too close. Right. 
So it, it is a step in the right direction, but there's still many, many tools missing. So it doesn't really give someone a complete view of, of everything. Right. Like there's no knees, there's no elbows, there's no headbutts. And, and like I said, those are the main, as a jiu-jitsu fighter, those are the main tools that we use to be able to inflict damage. And those tools do way, way more damage than open palm strikes. Right. Way more damage. And so if you don't know that you can be hit with an elbow from a very close range, yeah. you're exposed to yeah. getting seriously hurt. You know, you don't know, oh, I need to put my head here because he can hit me with an elbow. So, yes, the combat jujitsu has kind of um, helped a little bit. Right. But um, I really think it's important to to incorporate all those strikes so not only do you know how to use them but you know how to stay safe against them and you know that hey this is a this is a threat like this is something that can happen to me and i need to protect myself from that oh essentially mma is jujitsu the essence of what jujitsu kind of was is supposed to be right i mean you have all of these different weapons all these different variables and then I guess it differs from MMA is that we're we're not trying to maybe finish a fight from our feet. We're just trying to figure out how can we close that distance, control that that distance, and then now get my hands on you to Mm -hmm. to eliminate the threat, essentially. Right. The the sad part, (laughs) the funny part, it's kind of ironic, is that a lot of MMA guys end up trying to learn ground fighting or jujitsu from a competition, you know, a guy that's won a bunch of competitions. Yeah, so they're out there doing bear and bolos. It's (laughs) a completely different art almost, you know, that, um, and and all of the the best guys that have made that transition from competition jiu-jitsu to MMA to fighting, to trying to apply that jiu-jitsu in fighting, have even stated that. Like, I think Solo said, like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but I'm a white belt in MMA. Yeah. And Hodger said, like, you know, about 30% of the techniques that I use in jiu-jitsu actually work for MMA. Yeah. Um, you know, Andre Galvo tried to compete in MMA, and he did not do well. He didn't have nearly right? the same success. He had very, very little success. Uh, Marcelo Garcia, one of, the, you know, many people consider him a GOAT, right, one of the, one of the greats. And... Um, he lost to a sea level uh, yeah. fighter in, in Japan, right? Yeah. So you have the best jiu-jitsu guy in the world. What's crazy is Marcelo even had the guy's back for several minutes. Wow. Couldn't finish him from the back. Um, it's just different. It's, Damian Maia has probably had the best transition, would you say? Because yeah. his, his jiu I, I would definitely think he's the most successful jiu-jitsu um, practitioner. Uh, Charles Oliveira also has a very, very high submission yeah, rate. Yeah, he's right? really good. So he's very, very good he has a very very high submission rate um i think a lot of people say damian maya yeah because he uh he tends to not use the striking as much as Oliveira. Oliveira mixes things up very very well yeah where damian maya you know what he's going to do yeah he's going to clinch try to take you down right and then submit you yeah he's you a know? steamroller so he has less weapons um and he's been able to impose those weapons on a very, very, you know, a ton of guys yeah. at, at, in the top 10 at yeah. the highest levels. So, yeah, so your form of, I mean, your approach to jiu-jitsu is, is still very rooted in that original intention. Not, not, it's not the competition stuff. It's not the Baron Bolos. It's, uh, you probably don't do a lot of leg entanglements or any of that kind of thing. A little bit. It's bit. important to understand those things, right? Yeah. But at, at the end of the day, you know, as, as, a, as a teacher, I have a duty to my students most of the time when people come in and they start learning jujitsu, 
it's for the purpose of I want to learn how to defend myself. I mm-hmm. want to learn a martial art. I want to yeah. learn how to, um, and then they 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 put their trust in you that you're going to guide them right. on this path. Normally, after a few years of uh, or after a couple months of training, they're like, okay, I want to test myself, and now I want to compete. But that's not most people do not sign up at a school thinking like, oh, I want to compete in this art. I want to yeah. do competition. Most of the time it's like, hey, I saw it on the UFC or I saw it here, I saw it there, and I heard it's really effective for self-defense. I heard it's one of the best martial arts. I want to learn it. So, you know, it's important for me that I maintain those standards. Like, hey, this is what the student is is paying me for to learn, and I need to teach him this. I don't, I mean, I would feel so ashamed of myself if a student got in a fight or had to protect himself, and then he got punched and i never showed him like you yeah. know how this is how you deal with punches yeah or this is the position you're in where he comes and tries to do a dumbass imanari role and then he gets stabbed right, and in gets the face yeah. right gets hurt doing something that you showed because they're not aware of of strikes and so i think it's really yeah. really important as you know jujitsu for jujitsu instructors to understand that you know competition jiu-jitsu and, f- and jiu-jitsu for fighting are two very very different and and all of the best guys it's not just coming from me this is all of the best guys in the world that competed have also said the same yeah guys who right. really guys tried that to make tried that to make the transition have stated like how difficult it was right to make that transition of you know it was almost having to start back at white belt again so it's not just me saying that and so i think what's important is where you have the student focus their time is where they're going to develop. And so if you're teaching them a jiu-jitsu for fighting, you know, uh, as opposed to a jiu-jitsu for competition, because they're very different. Yeah. You know, there's different things that you have to focus on. Like when you're thinking about competition, you're thinking about points, you're thinking about these positions, you're thinking where fighting so much of it is distance control. How do I get on top and stay on top? How, how do I dominate these positions? You know, yeah. um, in these positions, where can I get hit? Where do I need to put my head? Like that's very little talked about. Where do I put my head uh, when you're just doing competition jujitsu? Mm-hmm. But head placement, it, where you're placing your head is important when Matters. you're talking about, yeah, angles. So I feel pretty fortunate having fought MMA for so long because all the jujitsu I did was with the emphasis of inflicting damage it wasn't just to go win a competition right makes you very aware like hey i can't do i mean so that's the thing is as you're learning jujitsu you can see like hey this probably wouldn't be good for fighting because you already have that background right right like oh man i wouldn't use this in a you know or this if i were to try to do this in a fight yeah i would expose myself to taking a lot of damage right yeah and and sometimes it's not to your face maybe you just you just opened up your spine or your kidneys or a a number of Mm -hmm. things like you just there's a lot of things that you just you you're not you maybe not situationally aware of without having those that direct input from strikes man are you a big fan of of fighting do you you watch mma and i do Um, keep up with it you know, I try to keep up with it, right? It's um, hard. There's because a lot. Because it's it, there's so much now, and that's yeah. the thing is there's so many events every weekend now. Yeah. I mean, there's more. You know, it used to be once every couple months, and then it oh. was once every two months. And right. Then it's now every month. Now it's like every you know there's every other week three a month or four a month. Right. You know, so it's it's hard to it's hard to keep up on it, but I I'm I love watching it because that I feel MMA that's the the real expression of jujitsu, right? Mm. At the end of the day, it's always I, th- I think it's so raw. Like, how does th- these combat arts, that's what jujitsu always was, a combat art. And we were always trying to see how do we um, 
develop an art. The whole purpose of jutsu was how do we develop this art for a smaller, weaker individual to be able to overcome a bigger, stronger individual. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why we had the original UFCs. There was no weight divisions. Right. There was no time limits. Right. Right. So it, it always interests me um, watching MMA, seeing what guys are doing, seeing how they're applying the technique, seeing how they're, uh, what are they, what techniques are they using to, uh, in different situations mm, yeah. to be effective. You yeah. Because you see certain techniques that used to work in the early days of MMA that are no longer really effective. Like you don't see as many people probably catching catching triangles or even arm bars in fights where I feel like it, there was a time where you, used to, you, you would see that more frequently. Yeah. you And, and I think... Well, what's happening now is everybody's training jujitsu. Right. Right. So now everybody knows how to defend those things. Yeah. So those things start to become harder um, just because now everyone is doing the same thing where, you know, back then jujitsu was so easy. Like jujitsu, you know, Hoist would go out and he would, you, just go you know, first UFC when he finished three guys in under five minutes. Yeah, it was something crazy. Right. And the second one, the same thing. And then people are like, oh, shoot, we better learn. We better learn this, uh, this jiu jitsu. Yeah. Right. So now, was you're probably the best person to talk to about this because I don't want to keep spouting incorrect information to people. It's it's just I always just call it jiu jitsu. We we know it in America as Brazilian jiu jitsu, but wasn't it called Brazilian jiu jitsu because originally they wanted to call it Gracie jiu jitsu, but that just maybe wasn't as marketable to the mass public, so it was just called Brazilian jiu jitsu. Well. Uh, no, what happened was Gracie Jiu-Jitsu was, was trademarked by Hori and Gracie. Okay. And so any school that was, uh, you know, what happened was back in the day, Horian wanted to kind of, he was the one that was more developed the UFC, right? Mm-hmm. He was the one that brought all of his brothers, even the Machados over. Um, and so that name Gracie Jiu-Jitsu became trademark. Oh. And so anyone else that was doing Jiu-Jitsu the what people term as the brazilian style mm-hmm. they had to come up with a different name and they didn't want it to be confused with japanese jiu-jitsu which is very different okay right because the, the brazilian style was a huge emphasis on the ground techniques okay and so that's i think why uh brazilian jiu-jitsu people started using the term brazilian jiu-jitsu because they couldn't call it gracie jiu-jitsu oh. because that term had been trademarked oh that's what it was okay mm-hmm. okay so Japanese jiu-jitsu, is that more on the feet? I think it, it it's, and I've never studied and Japanese jiu-jitsu. And maybe, yeah, taking you out of your, but, um, your wheelhouse But I, I know, you know, originally I think jiu-jitsu was an art form for the samurai to be able to fight when they were disarmed. Right. And so there was still, there was a lot of throws, a lot of punches, kicks, mm. throws, uh, joint manipulations, but I don't think there was as much emphasis placed on the grappling. Being on the know. ground. Because here's okay. the thing, if you're in a war... You don't want to be on the ground. You don't want to be on the ground. <laughs> That's the last right? thing you yes. want to do. You want to throw someone, you know, uh, right. you know, uh, you get disarmed, you know, you know this person's coming in with a sword or something to kill you. You want to be able to, boom, you know, deflect, right. throw them. Right. Or, you know, if you're on your back. Disable them as quickly as possible and get away. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, because obviously the Gracies totally mm-hmm. evolved the, the sport of and the, And the way I think that a lot of the, the traditional um, Japanese jiu-jitsu was taught was with katas you know with mm. like where you're it's like this move yep boom it's like a multiple step thing without resistance yeah which you know as we know i think matt thornton kind of coined this term aliveness is that you have to be able to 
deal with how do you develop yourself so that you can deal with a resisting, struggling person. So right. it's not like block, punch, you know, punch, right. grab the head, you know, elbow, and then they, yeah. they're they're following this series of steps. Yeah. It doesn't happen like that. People are not that predictable. Mm-mm. No, not at all. Yeah, that makes, that makes total sense. And it seems we're in a place today where jiu-jitsu has evolved even more. I mean, especially here in America, we're so... Wrestling based, heavily wrestling based. I feel like that's even evolved the sport even more so, and it's a little bit different than it was 20 years ago. So, just the evolution of the sport has come a long way. Yeah, absolutely. or the art rather. Well, I mean, you you know, going back to wrestling, you saw how effective wrestling is for many years. Wrestlers were dominating MMA. Yeah. Right? So they had learned enough about jujitsu to stay safe from the submissions, mm-hmm. and you, there there was a whole generation of ground and pound where yeah. that was a thing Tito Ortiz made his career Mark Coleman made his career Mark Kerr made his career out of ground and pound like right. taking guys down and just pummeling them on the ground yeah so it kind of goes back to showing you how effective wrestling is and they say that wrestling is is probably the strongest base of any of the disciplines in in MMA because it allows you to dictate where the fight will go right if you feel more if you feel stronger on your feet than your opponent you can keep it standing right if you feel more comfortable taking it to the ground you're dealing with a good striker you can take the fight to the ground and so yeah Matt Hughes is probably a really good example of that too from from that time period because mm-hmm. he had no jujitsu but he was actually submitting people right and beating people who had well, jujitsu he, he he had learned a ton of jujitsu right. right he was training a lot of grappling and submission grappling and stuff like that so yeah he was, he, you know, I mean, I mean, I think they interviewed uh, Elio after his match with Hoist. I don't know if you remember his when Matt Hughes fought Hoist Gracie. Um, that was at Staples Center. I was there at the event. He oh, ended up beating there? up Hoist. Uh, he uh, TKO'd him. Is this um, when Hoist came back after uh, some time off? Yeah. A number of years. Kind of a long yeah. hiatus. Yeah. He made his return. And, I remember uh, that. I think Hughes. I, Matt I was know. in his prime, too. Yep. Just wrecking everybody. Yeah. I remember that. That's so when I first started really watching mm-hmm. MMA. So they uh, <laughs> they fought, and um, they interviewed Elio, and he said, uh, he goes, no, I'm not disappointed because it showed that jiu-jitsu works. Like, he used jiu-jitsu to beat Hoist. Yeah. Which he did. He tried to go for an arm lock on Hoist, you know, from, from half guard, then ended up passing the guard, ended up taking his back, flattening him out, and then, you know, throwing elbows to the head, and they stopped the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but he basically had learned enough jiu-jitsu to yeah. basically you know and then with his wrestling background and you know grappling background who he's been grappling forever so yeah that's you know he yeah. used jiu-jitsu yeah. to win the fight man and you were there were you so have you been in the corner of some pretty big fights before um like, at some big shows because i've been in the corner of of some fights i wouldn't say big but i've been to a lot of ufc events so okay I've, I've i've that's big probably, yeah probably 20 or so events oh yeah. okay so you you were deep in the scene. Yeah, for a little bit. I was training a lot of fighters. Um, you know, when I opened up my gym in L.A., uh, we had a lot of fighters that yeah. were, were training with us. And we had a great, uh, amazing coaching staff mm. of um, Anthony Hardonk, who was a, you know, K-1, came from K-1. Uh, he was uh, came from the Voss gym from the Netherlands, was Ernesto Hoos training oh, partner for nice. 17 years. Uh, Joe Rogan mentioned he had the hardest kicks in the UFC. <laughs> uh, and then Vladimir Matyushenko, six-time mm. Soviet national champion in wrestling. He just had killers so in there, man. He was like a beast, and he was, you know, fought in the UFC and, and Affliction and Bellator. Oh, and wow. So, you know, he, he understood how to use wrestling for MMA. Yeah. Um, so we had a great coaching staff. And then, of course, me. Um, 
so we had a lot, yeah, a lot of guys that were wanting to transition to MMA. And so, mm. yeah, I had the opportunity to corner some guys. So yeah, so you fun. spent quite a bit yeah. of time in that space. So are you in Vegas now? Vegas, yes. Okay. Vegas is a cool place, man. You see a lot of people transitioning into Vegas now. Vegas is the hub. Well, a lot of people are leaving California. Right. right? Yeah. Everybody's going to Vegas or they're trying to follow Rogan to Vegas Austin. Vegas and Austin. <laughs> Phoenix, I know, is another. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Phoenix. Man. Yeah. It, it, it's quickly becoming the hotbed of jujitsu, just all over that. I think Mikey uh, Musumeci is in Vegas. Yep, he's in. I'm, I'm quickly becoming a fanboy of this whole jujitsu, which is probably like the the anti jujitsu mm-hmm. what you do. But man, I, I, do you watch Flow Grappling and the Who's Number One and different some, things? Yeah, I watch some of the events. Yeah, man, absolutely. I'm just I'm just so impressed with some of these, like the Ruotolo brothers, mm-hmm. Cade and Ty out of Atos. Mm-hmm. They're 18 year old kid like phenoms, and then you're just you're just seeing such a high level of jujitsu out of such young kids and that's to be expected because you know every generation should be better than the generation before because what you're doing is you're you're standing on the shoulders of these people right so all of the mistakes i made all of the lessons i've learned all of the struggles my job as an instructor is to help you so that you don't have to go through those struggles that you don't have to make the same mistakes that i did that you don't have to learn the hard way i'm going to teach you what I know, like, so, you know, my 25 years of doing jiu-jitsu, I've, you know, gone through ups and downs, made all these mistakes, learned this, learned that. Now I'm going to teach you from this place. Mm, yeah. And so hopefully that saves you from having to do that. And then the next generation, the next generation, the next generation, right? Oh, I figured this out with this technique. Like guys used to be able to escape or guys used to be able to do this. So I made this adjustment. So I'm going to pass that on to this guy so that where the, when they learn a technique, they're already far beyond when I learned it as a right. white belt. Right. Yeah, because we're getting the information after you've already, you know, tested it thousands right. and thousands of times, and and now you're teaching all the little mm-hmm. details, right, that you picked up along the way. Right. Yeah, we're in a crazy time, man. It's it's really exciting. And there's to see. so much easy like nowadays with the internet. The, there's so much access to information. Yeah. You can learn from the best instructors in the world. Where before, you know, when I first started, I had to drive halfway across the country to learn from Hickson. Yeah, you had to go on a hunt, a, li- a literal hunt. There's Nowadays, no... you can sit in front of your computer, and every week you can take a class with Hickson yeah. you know, or whatever instructor you want to learn from. Yeah, that's right? almost to you a detriment. You can literally sit in front of the computer and learn from any instructor or get information from. Yeah. It, it's, there's pros and cons because yeah. there's so much information out there. It's hard to, as a, as a newer student, it's hard to decipher what's good and what's bad, mm-hmm. right? Um but yeah, I mean the the access to information is is insane now. Yeah, it's cool that we have obviously like BJJ fanatics doing so many cool things. Mm-hmm. Um, my I have my own website too, which you know I, I started six years ago, Hidden Jiu-Jitsu, uh, HiddenJiuJitsu.com, which is basically just to pass on all of the information. Like uh, that was my goal as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Like I want to be able to share all this information that I learned. I want to be able to help people with my Jiu-Jitsu, um, Hickson style, which is uh, w- very different from a lot of the other jiu-jitsu styles out there mm-hmm. uh his understanding of of weight distribution connection these elements is light years beyond what i see anyone anyone's level of understanding is and so i want to be able to pass that information on pass that knowledge on so you can buy those instructionals directly from your website yeah oh absolutely. exciting that's cool and I'll, I, I'll have all those in the show notes so it'll make mm-hmm. it easy for people to find cool um, but just to have all those resources i'm sure you have yeah. hours and hours of instructional yeah for the last five years everywhere i've taught i've uh had a camera guy that followed me around to all my seminars and oh, so cool. i have all of my seminars something like 56 or close to 60 seminars, you know, three hour events that are on film. 
and then I have all other instructionals and yeah, I have a bunch of different courses which focus on different aspects, uh, specific aspects of jujitsu. Awesome. So, yeah. Dude, man. Great resource. Henry, we're we're coming up on hour 15. This has been so much fun, dude. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the oh, time. Obviously, you just like got off the plane and here we are <laughs> talking. So, um, I appreciate you taking the time. Is there any place, uh, we, we talked about hiddenjujitsu.com. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anywhere else uh, or anything else you wanted to kind of leave the people with or direct you know, them if towards? They, or? If, yeah, if they want to follow me, uh, I mean, where I'm most active social media is just Facebook. Okay. Um, I, I'm terrible on social media. I need to figure out Instagram, but um, you I'm have on an Facebook awesome. There's a I, huge group on Facebook. It's awesome. Yeah, so um, I have a I have a big uh, hidden jiu-jitsu on Facebook. It's a private group um, that people can join if they are interested in my jiu-jitsu or interested in asking me questions. Uh, a lot of the guys, the people that have bought my courses are on there and we kind of discuss ideas and information and share techniques and stuff like that and um, I get feedback so yeah they can follow me on Facebook or join the Hidden Jiu Jitsu group on, on Facebook and then uh, that's also where all of my I post all my information for upcoming seminars and events Okay, so cool. I do usually a couple camps a year like uh, international camps a year uh, where people from all over the world will fly in and you know we'll spend a week together training and you know it allows me to kind of go deep with uh, the concepts and the ideas of philosophies of jujitsu and uh, obviously the techniques. Um, and then all my seminar information is on there too. Oh, cool. And I'm, I'm in that group and mm-hmm. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's, it's such a, it's a community, right? It's yep. not just you putting out information on there. There's, there's a lot of discussion, a lot of back and forth. Um, yeah. It's, it's a great community to yeah. be a part of. It really Which is, is really cool. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Well, get, man, Henry, thank you again, man. My pleasure. Uh, Thanks right. for having me on. All right, everybody. Till next time. Thank you guys so much. That was a fantastic conversation with Henry. I can't thank him enough. Again, if you are getting value out of the show, just do me a solid like and subscribe, share, tell a friend, leave a rating and review. All of these things help the show grow, and I can't do it without you. Also, again, big thank you to our sponsors, St. Louis Deck and Fence. Go to stldeckandfence.com imposed will go to imposedwill.com you can save 10% on all apparel and goods at imposed will when you use the code outside and uh man that's it guys i love you we will be back very soon with another fantastic conversation just keep being rad humans guys i love you bye Mwah.